Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given and we've got lots to talk about on this show as always and I'm joined by Stephen Finn and Daniel Norcross. But at the start of the show, it is a shame that I have to tell you that unfortunately we have had to cancel the live show planned for this Saturday, so November 13th, due to unforeseen circumstances. Uh, we know lots of you had bought tickets. We are very, very sorry. You are going to get a full refund and I am excited to say we've got some great plans lined up and we promise we will be on a stage in the near future and we're really looking forward to seeing you all there. So if you did buy a ticket, thank you so, so much uh, and we look forward to seeing you in the new future. Hopefully in the year 2022, we've got a few good events lined up our sleeves and you can see what Daniel Norcross looks like up close and personal. I mean, if that doesn't sell tickets, I don't know what will. Have I got enough time for some kind of reconstructive surgery? <laughs> Depends how many tickets we sell. Depends what we can afford. Uh, Finny, Daniel, how are you, chaps? Finny, how are you, mate? Yep, all good, thank you. All good. Been an interesting week in cricket, hasn't it, on a number of fronts, so look forward to discussing it. Yeah, it's been another, another quiet week in the world of cricket. Uh, any more any more trips down to Sussex? Any more bowling? Any more fitness this week? Yeah, yeah. actually, I did my first run in about six weeks. So the way I keep fit normally um, out of season is on a bike so that it doesn't put too much pressure through these um, old, tired joints of mine. But we went for a run on Friday in Hove at a running track. And it's the first time I've run in about six, seven weeks or so. And what is it, Monday evening today, I'm still like hobbling around like an 85-year-old man because in my quest and attempt to impress the young blokes in the team to prove how fit I was and lead from the front in my first running session from them, I may have gone a little bit too hard and now I can't walk. <laughs> Did you win though? Did you win? There, there was one lad, Alistair Raw, who is incredibly, incredibly fit. So I was more just trying to run in his slipstream, which, you know, I capably <laughs> did. I capably did and ahead of, of the other blokes. But yeah, it was, um, it was a bit tricky the next few days. And, and even today, I like took myself to the gym this morning to go and have a foam roll and a, uh, and a little swim. 
and a cycle and I still can't move. <laughs> um, I, I did notice you did an interview, Finney's first interview that Sussex Cricket tweeted out. And um, very nice. You talking about, you know, helping out the younger guys in the squad and stuff. No earring, I've noticed. Still Ooh. not braving the earring in front of your teammates because you're wearing it with pride now. Absolutely. No, I am. Um, I've actually been earring shopping today. I'm looking for a little number oh. for a... Um, <laughs> For a night this is out, what but, happened. Oh no, I've fully lost the plot. I've got this little, um, this little, um, it's like a lightning bolt with little diamonds in it now. That's going to be coming. Yeah, I know they're only oh. tiny little things just to give it a little glimmer. Yeah, I'll give it lights. six months before you've gone full Pat Butcher. <laughs> not far <laughs> off, not far off. But honestly, no, this I, is. They, they, this is so childish, Billy. I mean, it's like it's like when you're a kid and you get into like I don't know, you get into some sort of uh, dark game thing, and it's like I got a million accessories. It's actually the idea. They're just sucking you in. They're sucking you into bigger and bigger earrings, mm. and more Absolutely. and more and more. And they get it's going to it's going to hang all the way down to your waist in about mm. two months' time. Well, Think of this. It's very nice of you to say so. Do you remember those <laughs> Lynx bracelets that were a little like little craze <laughs> yes. for a couple of years? Yeah, and, you, and exactly. you could buy little yeah. charms. That's, That's right. They've seen Finney coming a mile off. They've seen his 25,000 from the 100 of voice. He's a bloke with, with money to burn. It's actually 32. It's actually 32. Um, <laughs> um, no, but I, that, that interview was filmed in the summer before the ear piercing. Oh, right. But okay. still, I, do you know, I was sat in my car outside the running track, running a little bit late. And I was in the mirror taking the earring out so that I um, so that they still don't know I've got my ear pierced unless they listen to this, which um, I very much doubt they do because they're all nineteen. <laughs> oh, so by the sound of things, you couldn't afford to have anything else slowing you down. It's probably a good idea to take that earring out. Uh, and Norcross, how are you, Daniel? How are you, sir? Well, do you know, I've had a genuinely unique experience this week. So I, I've been up in Salford, a bath. The, uh, yes, well, yes, actually, it's funny you should say that. <laughs> right. I did. I wasn't going to mention that, but it was. I've, I've had my first five baths since the pandemic mm. because my flat doesn't have a bath, there's a shower, no bath. So, uh, and given that I've not been anywhere except in summer when you don't really feel like a bath, but actually in the holiday year in Salford, uh, when you finish a hard day's hard day at the cold face of T20 World Cup cricket commentary, mm. uh, and it finishes a beautiful time, you know, 5 5, 5 6 o'clock, you could sit in the bar, read a book sit there for like an hour and then go down and meet up with other people and, you know, drink at the bar. And it's only like 7.30 when you're doing it. It's a form of heaven. Mm. But that wasn't what I was going to say. The unique experience is that I was in there for six whole days, right? Get this. My room key didn't fail once. You know those like credit card room keys? I yeah. Mean, I'm forever, they're forever getting screwed up after like two days. And you get into the bloody lift and it, it might even work in the lift and then you put it into your pocket and accidentally next to your mobile you get to the door on the 15th fucking floor and you put it in doesn't work you go down the sodding lift get another one cut happens over and over again I've got six days <laughs> and they both work it's unbelievable so I feel charmed and blessed at the moment, lads. Uh, kind of strangely confident. In the I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised you struggle to master an electronic room key because uh, recently <laughs> you may have seen on the Zero Ducks given social media pages on Instagram and Twitter that uh, the three of us went and checked out these booking.com cricket T20 oh, yes. pavilions. And watching Dan Norcross try to tweet about <laughs> our experience was one of the single most painful 
experiences of my life. I've, I've never... well, one of my single painful experiences of my life. Too, <laughs> <laughs> there was honestly a point where me and Finney looked over and the poor lovely girl Sophie that was looking after us that day, she just looked dead behind the eyes. She, she looked... She looked like she'd just given up. And there you were. I didn't see that. Pushing the wrong buttons. I didn't see that. I saw a caring person looking after somebody in distress. I'd like to thank Sophie for all of her kindness. She did look like a care worker. (laughs) Yeah. And they are people I've applauded. When the font, font, you can only fit three letters of a QWERTY keypad on the the screen for the font size. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on. That isn't true. <laughs> Actually, but one of my colleagues does have a gigantic size screen, and I'm not going to name him, but, uh, well, actually, maybe I should. Tuppers make sure that he can <laughs> see his theory. I think wrong, whereas he actually presses the right button. It's a tip. But I don't know how to make it bigger. So I'm screwed. I need <laughs> no, Sophie back. Do you know what? There's not enough time. I was about to say on this podcast, there's not enough time in the world to teach you how to make a bigger keyboard. So we're going to move swiftly on. <laughs> Uh, and talk about some cricket and the T20 World Cup, which hasn't disappointed, really. And we have got a couple of mouth-watering semi-finals to look forward to, as it often works out in these tournaments. The four best sides, I think, are through to the semi-finals. England versus New Zealand and Pakistan versus Australia. Let's start with England. Uh, they finally lost the game to South Africa and they lost Jason Roy as well. It was sad to see Jason Roy the distress on his face. Finney, you've been there of injuries and stuff in, in your career. It was, it was sad to watch Jason Roy there because he's such an integral part of that side as well. Yeah, he's um, he's huge, isn't he? I think when he went down, everyone realised that it wasn't just a small strain or something. It was the snipers had, had got him from the rooftops, so to speak, uh, when you go in the calf like that and, and you just pull up straight away. So, yeah, it's sad to see. I mean, I've been injured on the eve of tournaments before, but never... Um, of the 2016 World Cup, actually the T20 World Cup, I got pulled out a week before because I pulled my calf in the indoor school. So, yeah, it's incredibly frustrating. And also for someone like him, who is such an integral part, the team's going to miss him. Obviously, James Vince comes in, who's a more than capable batsman. But but yeah, what Jason Roy's brought to that team and the attitude he brings to that team is going to be missed. And, and you know that he'll be very disappointed as well. I would say, as sad as it is for Jason Roy to go, and he and he sets the tone so well at the top of the order for England. We have an embarrassment of riches in the batting department, and Finney touched on it there. You know, with Vince coming into the squad and a friend of the podcast, Sam Billings as well. I mean, it's not going to be too difficult. They'll probably go Butler and Bairstow. It's not bad, is it? Milan, Morgan, Livingston, Moeen Ali. There's still plenty of runs in this lineup. Um, um, Dan, it's not quite the death sentence it might have been for England teams in the past, but still sad to see. Yeah, I mean, look, it is really sad to see, but it's actually a bit more than that because it's, you know, T20's got quite technical, hasn't it? And watching this tournament particularly, you see the sides that have really understood their, you know, their matchups, the people they want at particular phases of innings on these pitches, and they've got the hang of them, actually. They're playing a really, the best teams are playing a really good quality of T20 cricket. And if you change with that formula just a bit, it, it can be quite tricky. Somebody just comes, can't come in and just do that role. Bairstow is there at four because they want him there against the spin that they anticipate coming in at, at that point, you know. So if you put him up top, that changes things. Where does Moeen sit, therefore? Um, it is problematic. And actually, I think Timar Mills is a massive loss as well because... You didn't have a brilliant game. You had one not particularly good game. Everyone said, oh, well, maybe it wasn't 
isn't a great bowler he is. It's not true. He's a terrific T20 bowler and he gives England that point of difference because uh, his change-ups are extraordinary. I mean, you can go from 90 miles an hour to 70 miles an hour and it's really tricky. Without him, what do you do? You want another left-arm option. And Wokes and Wood felt a little bit more exposed against South Africa, although you've got to temper that by saying it's a charge, it's a different kind of pitch, smaller boundaries, etc. Um, so do you bring Willie in because you want that left-arm thing? And then do you actually make him sort of pinch hit at the top of the order, maybe open? He's done that in domestic cricket before, and then you can keep Bairstow at four. I don't know. But England are the ones who've actually got the headache, strangely, after winning those four games, whereas New Zealand started to find their rhythm. They they kind of got their plan and that plan's working. So I think it's going to be a really tough game for England. A lot could depend on the toss. Yeah, it's it's we talk about it all the time in tournaments, that, that word momentum. And it did feel like New Zealand against Afghanistan looks very, very good. They're fielding. They're the best fielding side mm. of the tournament by a long, long way. Mitchell. Oh, the oh. Daryl Mitchell bit of fielding. If you haven't seen this, he, I mean, the catch alone would have been unbelievable. He took a stunning one-handed catch, diving backwards, realised he was going to go over the boundary and carry it for six. And the, the, the speed of thought to throw it back in play and save a couple of runs was unbelievable from Daryl Mitchell. But they, they held everything. They, they were catching flies against Afghanistan. Uh, New Zealand, I should mention their... Um, record recently in major tournaments um they're always there or thereabouts they've been semi-finalists and finals in pretty much all the recent major tournaments they of course won the icc world test championship as well they lost to england in that rather unforgettable 50 over final not too long ago <laughs> an unbelievable sign they have been for a while now it goes back to really mccullum and that sort of era only one team could go through finney where's where's your prediction for this semi-final i'm really not i'm not confident about the game i don't know if it's because of the loss to south africa or what but a really tough game for England against this New Zealand side. Yeah, I think New Zealand, obviously, outstanding in tournaments. As you say, their record in getting to the latter stage of the tournaments and dealing with pressure um, is really impressive. But I, you just look at the two teams, and I think that England at the moment have too much for them in every department. I think the spin bowling has been outstanding, which, again, we anticipate playing a massive part in these last two games of the tournament for whoever gets there. And, and yeah, I think I do think England have too much, but I do think that missing Jason Roy and Tamar Mills will maybe make the game a little bit closer than it could have been. New Zealand go with a very specific strategy, six overs of pace seen in the power play. And that's one of the reasons why the loss of Roy is such a shame, because actually Roy would have loved that and New Zealand weren't going to change it. They're not going to bring in Santner and, and Sodi into the power play. So New Zealand was sort of perfectly set up for England set up. That's why whoever comes into open has to sort of be somebody who's going to be strong against pace. You're not going to put Moeen into open. What you want is a kind of Roy replacement. Maybe best though, that guy. He's done it for the Sunrisers, hasn't he, with Warner a lot. So that may be the solution there. Uh, but I do think that Jew's not as bad at Abu Dhabi as it is at Sharjah. The, the, Ravi Barra said something kind of fascinating on TMS this week that we talk about the Jew factor, but it varies from place to place in Sharjah because it's wide open, has very little breeze. It gets very hot and then it cools down at night and the dew is enormous. In Dubai, you have actually, it's quite a more enclosed stadium. So there's more areas of shade, has a stronger breeze. The disparity in temperature is less. Abu Dhabi's kind of in the middle. So the toss might not be as important, but England will still want to win it, won't they? I mean, every team has shown that. Even India today against Namibia, when I thought, they might go out and try and score 250. They went, nah, 
will will bowl first. So it's, it, that's obviously going to be a factor. Yeah, it's it should be a cracking game, and I've made sure I've got the afternoon free, and I'm going to sit there and, and watch it religiously, of course, like everybody else. And and Thursday, you've got to keep that afternoon free as well because it's another great game, Pakistan versus Australia. You'd probably say that maybe Pakistan is the one team that you were desperate to avoid in the semi-finals. They've looked very good. They're opening partnerships. Very exciting. They've got Shaheen Afridi, who's always unbelievable. They've obviously always got an embarrassment of spin bowling as well. Against an Australia side who have been a bit stop-start in this tournament. But that's another superb game there as well. And again, you, you lean towards Pakistan, but Australia in a major tournament, they've got pretty good history. Um, where do you see that one going, Finney? I see Pakistan winning that one. I think if they play anywhere near what they're capable of, as they have done in this tournament so far, I think that they will win that one. But you can never rule Australia out with the experience that they've got. Finch, Warner, Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood, Zampa's had an outstanding tournament. So there are guys there who played in high-pressure games before, which is what this is all about now. It's about people who deal with the pressure the best. It's not necessarily the best cricket team that's going to win these next two games. It's the people who deal with the pressure the best and Australia have great history of doing that, but not in T20 World Cup. So it will be interesting to see. Australia have got the method though, finally. I mean, they looked like they were methodless at the start. You remember Steve Waugh was actually calling for uh, their own commission to look into why Australia is so far behind England in white ball cricket after England absolutely thrashed them. Uh, it's, it feels a bit different, doesn't it? A few days on. They've won four out of five. England won four out of five. South Africa won four out of five. You know, these teams aren't that far apart. And again, if the toss goes right for them, Maxwell's not fired yet. Might be time for him. Dubai, great pitch at Dubai. It's the best, the best pitch for people who want to hit through the line, without a doubt. And they've got Finch, they've got Maxwell, they've got Warner. On their day, they can do it. That's we always talk about fine margins, aren't we? The the very best T20 international size in the world wins sort of fifty six out of a hundred. So when you come to a yeah. semi final, <laughs> what, what, what it could go? I did you know what what are the odds? It, they're basically even, really. It, it it really is. It feels at this point like I mean, you can take your pick. All four of those sides have got an excellent chance of of winning, and it's going to take um, a very special innings or a bit of bit of genius in the field or something, but they should be two absolutely belting games. Uh, also, on the topic of Australia, well, Dan Norcross, you owe yet another public grovelling apology oh, to, the no, fine, really? to the fine men and women of Australia. Because oh, constant, well, constantly on this podcast, you talk about Australia, and I think you've used the word soft cocks a few times, and you talk Am about I? how... I think you always talk about the fact that they're terrified of touring anywhere and that they're wimps yeah. and that they refuse to yeah. travel anywhere and they're always cancelling test matches and tours. Yeah. Well, Australia are going to tour Pakistan for the first time in 24 years. Free well, test matches, though? free one-day internationals and a T20 uh, <laughs> taking place in Karachi, Raupindi and Lahore. Um, eat some humble pie for us, Dan. No, not yet. Not yet. This is like the Seinfeld <laughs> episode. Like, you're very good at taking a reservation. But are you any good at keeping a reservation, right? <laughs> so they're very good at announcing a tour. Are they any good at having a tour? Let's let's wait. You know, if they go, then I will eat my humble pie. But there's four months, four, four and a half, five months. In that time, it's perfectly possible for Australians to find some reason for not going. And I say this as an Englishman whose own team didn't go to well T20 fixtures in Pakistan either. So I'm, I'm not unaware of what may sound like hypocrisy, 
But I just like I think it's a brilliant. If it happens, it'll be superb. Three tests, three ODIs in the T20, and in three different cities. They'll do Karachi, Rawalpindi, and Lahore, mostly in Lahore, where the white ball legs will be. It would be fantastic if it happened, and I'd love to go, wouldn't you? That'd oh, be mean, superb. Oh, That'd be a brilliant, brilliant trip, wouldn't it? Well, we'll we'll wait to see. Uh, Australian public, if you're listening, we'll wait to see if Norcross owes you an apology. Finney, did you, when you were playing for England, was there were there tours that you particularly enjoyed? Was there was there one country more than others that you enjoyed going to? New Zealand was probably my favourite country to tour. Oh gosh, he's gonna he's gonna mention is this is you're gonna mention your fifty, aren't you? Yeah, there is that as well. Yeah, there is that. Um, the pitches suited my batting style down there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, they didn't suit my bowling style, though. <laughs> they were unbelievably flat. But just as a welcoming place, that was probably my favourite. I think if you'd have asked me after my first Ashes tour, I'd have said, yeah, Australia, the best place. And now you've asked me after three Ashes tours where two haven't gone quite so well, I'd say uh, New Zealand. Yeah, it's a beautiful country. I can imagine it's a lovely place to tour as a player. And we've talked about it before that they're just the nicest people in the world as well. Yeah, it's more that. It's like the friendly, people are just friendly. Like you go to a restaurant and people want to chat to you and be friendly to you. Whereas it's the complete opposite it felt like in Australia. This is so sickening, isn't it? I mean, how can they be winners and so nice? It really just, this is one of the great conundra of the world at the moment. I don't don't know what we're going to do. if we beat, if we, if England beat New Zealand in the semi-final in the Super Over, I'm, I'm at the point where I might not be able to sleep at night. I'm actually starting to feel guilty about this kind of crap, you know? <laughs> I mean, it, it, they are absolutely making a mockery of the theory that nice guys finish last. They're nice guys well, finishing so cool. quite near first quite a lot of the time. Yeah, I know. They've got to stop doing yeah. that. Making the rest of us look bad. Now, Stephen Finn, whilst I've, whilst I've got your attention here, we do need to talk about a... Normally, in this day and age, this is a terrifying sentence to hear, but I promise it's nothing bad. But if I said, we found some ancient tweets involving you, <laughs> normally that's the start of an investigation and you're <laughs> and you being marched out the building. But no, don't worry. It's all good. I want to cast your mind back to the 12th of March, 2013, where Kagizo Rabada, and I don't know who uh, found this old tweet for us, but they, they got in touch with Zero Ducks Given. So thank you to whoever that was. So Kagizo Rabada tweeted at Finney Steve on Twitter, a very big fan of yours, retweet question mark. Finney, what's, what's going on here? Well, hang on. Did he retweet? I don't think so at the time. I don't think oh! so. <laughs> but, Unbelievable. Do you know what? Subsequently, someone sent that to me, I think, a year or so ago. And I did retweet it and said, oh, it's the other way around now, retweet. And he didn't follow me or retweet me. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not surprised because you've been waiting for a bloody retweet for seven years. And, yeah, <laughs> and in, the meantime, <laughs> in the meantime, he's gone out and become one of the finest fast bowlers on the planet. He doesn't need your retweets anymore. <laughs> he doesn't, he's, he's way no. past caring about your retweets. <laughs> I know. Well, it's so disappointing. Yeah. But he, he's a wonderful bowler to watch as well. I love watching him bowl. Yeah, yeah, he's so, so, so good. And just so, he looks so angry all the time. A word on South Africa, though. Can, can we have that? I mean, bless them. Like, th- this was the World Cup they didn't bottle, really. Mm. It's just that they didn't, they just weren't smart enough at the right moment. When England realised that they could win a game quickly, they did it, crucially, against Australia. When South Africa had the opportunity to get to Bangladesh, they just sort of, like, got over the line. 
and, and they just tried to win the games and it came down to net run rate again. I mean, it, if you're a South Africa fan, it must be so painful because this is a good team, isn't it? I mean, Rasky van der Dusen, he is something, he may look like Lawrence Fox, but I think he's I think there's a bit of Shermanator about him. I remember they used to call Ian Bell <laughs> oh, yeah. Shermanator, but I think yeah. van der Dusen's got way more Shermanator about him than than Ian Bell ever did. Uh, and also... Shermanator mention... crossed with Fox. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could say, yeah, I could see that. The yeah. Foxinator. Yeah. Anrik Norkia. What a bowler. Talk about bowlers you love watching at the minute. Do you know what I like about it? Is if some guys bowl quickly and make it look easy. Joffre Archer bowls quickly and <laughs> yeah. makes it look easy. Yeah. Norkia looks like he has to put every yeah. single sinew into bowling at that sort of pace. He, you know he what he hits is? the pitch so hard. He's the Gary Pallister. Of fast bowling, you know, remember Gary Palliser of Manchester United? He's like three minutes in, first corner, and he's puffing and he looks absolutely exhausted <laughs> with a mouth kind of half open. And Henry, Henry Norkier is the same bowler, but he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. He's like, he's like a supercharged Angus Fraser. Yeah, like, he is. I love watching him bowl. He looks like he's absolutely throwing his body into every single delivery. And I'm like, well, no wonder you're bowling quick, mate. Finny, when you when you're, but do you like, do you genuinely, you say you love watching Rabada bowl and stuff. Do you ever, like, are there players that you've watched? Because obviously bowling actions are so unique to the bowler, but are there players that you watched in your career going, I like what he does there. I'll take a bit of that into my action. Or is it not worth tampering with these things? No, you do. But then you just realise how inadequate you are as a bowler. Because right. you try you try and flick your wrist like Jimmy Anderson or you try and like coil like Jimmy Anderson or something and you, you ping the ball down to fine leg and you're like, I, well, I can't do that. And I always watch <laughs> Dale Stainbowl, the way that he sort of whipped his hand down the back of the ball. And it was almost, everything was just so delayed and he just sort of, kissed down the back of the ball and it would bowl these big booming 90 mile an hour outswingers and yeah you I think you just look at people with envy with what they can do and what you can't and no matter how many times I would attempt to replicate it I could never do it I think that's really fascinating because the more you the more we watch T20 acting the more don't we see that really we see so much more wrist action in fast bowlers like all all of what we're watching at the moment is Guys coming in with the same actions, bowling 89 mile per hour one minute and then 74 the other. And there's wrists going everywhere. There's Mustafitza, who's got those extraordinary mm. extendable wrists. Like he's almost like a sort of left arm, medium quick Muralitheran. And I, I don't remember wrists being quite as significant as this, Vinny. No, but <laughs> I, think it's, um, I think it's the age of T20 and disguise. I think. You look at the traditional bowlers, I mean, unless you're express pace like a Pat Cummins or a Nokia, who are more traditional bowlers, you would say, um, who just run up and do the same thing over and over again. You look at the guys who are real special talents in T20 and, and there's something quirky about their actions. Shaheen Afridi has a late turnover of his wrist, mm. which means that the ball seems to sort of come out of nowhere when he bowls it at you, as I found out about 18 months ago when he got me out first ball um, as part of four <laughs> wickets and four balls. Um, but, and um, Mustafa's are the same, the way that he can disguise his slower balls and put revs on the ball by whipping his wrist over gives you an added advantage when it comes to that. So I think the age of T20 is encouraging people to be individual, which is, which is great. And I think that as time passes and people's individualities are encouraged to be retained as opposed to maybe when I was a kid you were taught to everyone to have a safe legal bowling action now I think quirks and interesting things are going to be far more common 
in bowlers, which can only be a good thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I know these pitches particularly need people to bowl cutters and bowl into the pitch, but I was watching, you know, I've been watching all these games now and it's like baseball. There's no two deliveries the same anymore. No. It used to be kind of, you know, if I hit top of off stump, normally it doesn't go too wrong now. Well, you can't run in about top of off stump anymore, not in these 2020 games. I mean, you've, it, every single ball is different now. They're changing the field constantly. Well, how about, was it Rabada the other night? He just came in for his uh, first over of a new spell. Bold, a, mm. a beautiful seam-up delivery that would have gone just over the top of off stump. And Liam Livingston hit it 111 metres. Oh, my word. I know. <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely huge. <laughs> I, I that I couldn't believe yeah. where, that was the biggest six I think I can ever remember seeing. Well, I, 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 it, I, it I, was actually it was actually it was actually 112 meters and it was the biggest six of this T20. Yeah. And, and and Jonathan Agnew was on commentary at the time, and it's tricky doing commentary off tube. But he he actually he didn't say words. He went, oh whoa, <laughs> 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 and we were all we were all thinking it. We we're all looking at it going, what the <laughs> you can't you can't describe a shot like that. It it's was just, it was like perfect. a golf swing. I, I I was trying to think. I was thinking about the biggest sixes I've seen. I remember Flintoff hitting that one down the ground at Edgbaston in two thousand and five that went out the ground. Yeah. Chris Gale hit Brett Lee into about the, the the Tennyson School or something as well. But um, that was as big as I've ever seen. In fact, I was surprised, and you don't say this often, when it had only gone one hundred and twelve meters. I was actually surprised. It felt like it had to be even bigger. It was I think that was the limit. I think that was the limit of the <laughs> because it, it, it disappeared out of view. If you remember, yeah, so they they got gone there and then. Who knows where the hell it's gone? Yeah, <laughs> it's just going and going. Right? But the great, the great thing about that was that the Rabada, of course, he was, this is what our T Twenty is insane. He went six 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 dot dot dot, and then wicket wicket wicket. It's yeah. Magic. So yeah. I mean, Finney is not a stranger to the uh, fortunate white ball hat trick. What do you mean? But it's still, it's still. What would you? <laughs> have you not? Have you not had a hat trick in which you were twice caught about three inches inside deep mid wicket and once at like long off? It was actually third man long off and long on, but it was um, <laughs> sorry, yeah. But, <laughs> but actually, it, it was the way that I rolled my wrists over the ball and just deceived the batsman that led to me taking those wickets. So, so arguably, I was very skillful, and and I think the idea of cricket is you get hit yeah. to your fielders, and that's what I did. So. Um, so I won't have you belittle my World Cup hat trick that came no, no. at the end of, a, of an innings of 340 for Australia that cost me 71 <laughs> runs. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, and, 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 what, and, and even though you say it was arguably that, I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my one and only career club hat trick was long hop, absolute seed, long hop. First ball, long hop, dragged down. The guy tried to cut me for 12 and feathered it through to the keeper. We're all laughing like, fuck, that was an ugly wicket. Then I absolutely squared a bloke up, snicked off, hat-trick ball, slipped at the crease, pulled it into the pitch. He has absolutely smoked it and it's just hit our square leg in the chest. There's a hat-trick in the book. I'm not complaining. So, Finney, you can have your hat-trick if I can have mine. Thank you very much. Now, one man that I did touch on there that we do need to discuss is Mr. Chris Gale. Uh, we're going to see the last tournament of a few players at this T20 World Cup. His uh, teammate Bravo, of course, played his last international T20 game as well. But Chris Gale, I saw him described by somebody as the Bradman of T20 because his numbers are so much better than everybody else's. He scored 22 centuries in 2020 cricket. The next highest is 
eight. He's hit 1,043 sixes. The next best is 760. He kind of revolutionized a format that was already revolutionary, if that makes sense. He's been absolutely unbelievable. In fact, I did a bit of a calculating. Uh, in fact, uh, Zoltman, eat your heart out. I added together all the sixes <laughs> that Chris Gale has hit in international cricket. He scored 3,318 international runs in sixes alone which is just mind-blowing. I would like to point out that's more international runs than I think a certain Tim Payne has got entirely. But of course, we wouldn't, we Ooh, wouldn't, want, to, we yeah. wouldn't, want, to, we wouldn't want to dwell on that for too long. Um, Finney, I mean, when he's so big, I looked at a couple of sixes that he hit in his final game and he doesn't even need to get hold of the ball at all. He just muscles that ball over the boundary rope. Yeah, he's pretty intimidating to bowl to. Whenever I played against him, he was always the one person that... You just want to get out early because he has a look. He probably has more of a look now than he did maybe five or six years ago. But yeah, if you don't get him early and he gets into the rhythm of, of hitting sixes, you're in big, big trouble because no matter where you bowl it, full short, unless you perfectly execute a wide Yorker or something like that, it's going for six. So yeah, I'm glad I, I didn't actually come across him on any days where he really, really got going. You know, I just sort of tended to get him out before that, but it was um, it, <laughs> not true. Um, not true. Um, caught, caught a long off again, was it? Oh, no, it was fine actually, leg, probably, actually. actually. I bounced him out. Caught, I was going to say, fine leg off the uh, mat. I bounced because, him out. Because yeah. actually, Finney, yeah, Finney, Finney is kryptonite to Chris Gale. I, I genuinely believe this. If I was going to devise a bowler to Chris Gale, it would be someone like Finney. Because he's really, if you look at Chris Gale's numbers, he's terrible behind square. He hardly scores a run down there. And if you angle it across him and bowl short and you're tall and into the pitch, he hasn't really got a shot. So, yeah, Finney, yeah, I think I'm going with that. I think, you're, I think you've are I think you got Chris Gale every time. You'd be my go-to bowler for Chris Gale. Cheers, Dan. And I'd be lovely, my quickest... When you're in heaven, when you're in heaven, right, I will be telling you that you've got to bowl forever to Chris Cale and you may or may not get him out. How do you feel about that? Hang on. I'd like to interject immediately there because that suggests, Norcross, that you'd be in heaven with Finian. Let's be honest, there's not a fucking chance. Well, hell. I've never seen a man with hell written all over him more. (laughs) Okay, you've actually scuppered the entire idea at the very very premise. All right, well done, Toby. Thank you. And but surely, you get my drift. Surely, if, if, if in heaven you have to run in a bowl at Chris Gale, surely in heaven you get to run in a bowl at Chris Martin. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <probably> do, yeah. <laughs> that sounds far better to me. <laughs> yes, that's but, a good but honestly, though, on, on Gale, I, I was really, I, I was actually quite challenged by that game because for a start, okay, this is a really queenie thing as a broadcaster. He walked off when he got out, and suddenly there's a guard of honor. And I'm doing the updates that day. And I've got to go into five live and go, I, I think Chris Gale's just retired from T20 international cricket. Normally, somebody like Chris Gale would give you a little bit of warning. Asgar Afghan of Afghanistan, let everybody know. So he walked off and we all, you know, could sort of position it properly. Suddenly we had to work out. Chris Gale appears to have retired. Now he's entitled to do that. And it was very, it's quite sweet. It's quite charming. But then when we got into the Australian innings, and bearing in mind that South Africa needed the West Indies to do well for them to have a chance of getting through into the semi-finals, and I kind of watched Chris Gale just throw his kit around and laugh and joke and bounce around and be, you know, it was almost like a benefit game. <laughs> and the same bit with Dwayne Bravo. And I thought, I mean, 
this is sort of charming, but it's also actually a bit annoying if I'm South if I'm South African cruiser watching this right now. I go, no, get, get on with doing better against Australia. We need you to do that, you know? And I did think, I thought it sort of turned into a bit of a farce. Am I being a wanker? No, maybe. I, I think actually in the last few major tournaments, I mean, it's a difficult one because as a neutral, we all want to see Chris Gale at major tournaments because he's Chris Gale and he is box office, you know? And, you know, he's the sort of guy that if you are at a game and you've got tickets to a game when Chris Gale's batting, the bars are empty. Everybody wants to see him bat and see what he does. On the flip side, I thought actually going back to the 2019 World Cup, he couldn't run. He literally no. couldn't run. He couldn't run a single. They had to hide him in the field and he wasn't scoring many runs either. And you're kind of just looking at him going, it's great that you're there at all, Chris Gale, but you're probably getting in the way of some young some young West Indian batsman who could actually throw himself around there, a little and bit. And there are a lot of them. I mean, yeah. they've got a lot of huge hitters. There are people who have been left out of that side. Yeah. Uh, and and they, look, that West Indies side has been a brilliant side. You know, they've revolutionised T20 cricket. They have made sixes the currency of, yeah. of the game. If you, if you hit the most boundaries, you win. They've changed the way that we look at cricket. They've been a brilliant, brilliant team. I just thought this was a bit indulgent, you know, and a bit, yeah. I'm not going to say disrespectful because that's a bit pompous, but I, I think I would have been annoyed if I was South Africa. Yeah, I, I did find it a little bit odd. Gail's giving away his kit on the boundary and it was, <laughs> I mean, he took his last ever ball in international yeah. cricket. He took a wicket and then ran up took and a hugged, hugged the bats. <laughs> do you know? But, do you know, you know, I mean, this is like what we do, you know, on a, on a Sunday, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's it not, is. It's just it not, is. It's not quite right. But we don't want to miss out. We don't want to lose too many characters from the game. There's not enough line around. But I, I did take your point. I did. I remember looking at it going, this is getting a bit silly now. Now, here's a question, Finian. I think I know the answer. But so you said there, Chris Gale never really came off in a game when, when you played against him. It's a tiny part of you. Because when I watch, when I go to watch an England game, if I know, say, we're playing a Brendan McCullum or a De Villiers or Chris Gale, I want England to win the game, but I also want them to score 150 off 60. Have you? Do you ever regret that you did, you played against some great players and never saw them have a day out ever? No, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> I can watch that on YouTube if I want to. <laughs> yeah, too right. Honestly, I, I I missed out. I didn't get De Villiers ever, which was handy. I played against him a fair few times. Didn't get De Villiers. Didn't get gailed. Who else didn't I get done by? You won't I mention McCullum. Didn't get pontinged. Yeah, I got McCullum. Say wagged. Get say wagged. I didn't get say wagged. I only played one game against say wagged though. Okay. Have I been Kohli? Yeah, I got Kohli a few times in India. <laughs> Have you been Maxwell? Have you been Maxwell? I didn't get Maxwell. No. No. I don't think I got Maxwell. Not properly. Can I? Can I? Can I just finish? Is it possible that Toby's asked you? the most stupid question you've ever heard even more stupid than the ones I ask you I mean it's pretty fucking ridiculous yeah, basically do you regret yeah. not getting panned around just so you could watch first hand no well do you know what funnily I'm enough because no I'm, because I'm such a big cricket fan yes. if I was if I was playing in a game and Tendorka was batting I'd, I'd, he scored runs I reckon I'd be stood there going oh shots actually yeah this is what do I do you hate to get him out would you? would you would you hate to get him out yeah would don't you, want you, it oh, no, don't no, no. want it no I bowled, I bowled your top of off but no you stay there because I think it was probably a no ball are you going to do that yeah then, then again what, what am I thinking I mean I knew it was a stupid question I did say I thought no the answer but then also I'm talking to a man who called Don Bradman a walking wicket so of course he doesn't True, care yeah. he doesn't care about reputations he's got no respect whatsoever um, well, anyway, Chris Gale, he has been undeniably very, very entertaining and quite simply the greatest 2020 batsman of all time so far. I'm sure in the future there'll be another one. But for now, he's uh, 
He's and it's probably given him an extra few years in his career that he wouldn't have had otherwise. He would have probably slowly petered out, and instead yeah. this format suited him down to the ground. He, he did slowly peter out. He just got paid for <laughs> it's doing true. it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He got paid a lot of money to score no runs for the last few years. I mean, <laughs> that's a great gig. I'll do that. Finney will do that. Finney, you'll go from franchise to franchise scoring no runs, won't you? I've been doing that for about 15 years. Brilliant. <laughs> Apart uh, from this two... one time in New Zealand, actually. Oh, right. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, let's move, sw- <laughs> let's move swiftly on. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's all set up to be two belting semi-finals. So depending on when you're listening to this podcast, uh, they either haven't happened yet or there are, but uh, no doubt going to be two thrilling games. Um, now, we do have to finish on a very sombre note and something that we've been talking about for the last few weeks, but the Azim Rafiq story at Yorkshire continues at a pace, really. We said it's been, uh, ironically, it's been another quiet week in the world of cricket. So it all started um, about a week ago with the ECB statements about Yorkshire County Cricket Club. And they condemned Yorkshire County Cricket Club. They criticised their dealing of the whole situation, which we have done on this podcast as well. Probably the, the main punishment that we could talk about here is that they have taken away international cricket from Headingley for the foreseeable future. It will basically be under review. And it's a good punishment, that, because it hits the board where it hurts. It hits them uh, at the bottom line, at their finances. Now, Dan, I, I, I applauded the ECB for that and for coming out with a strong statement and for, and for their decision. There is an argument. Did they make that decision because suddenly the pressure was too strong? It was suddenly a, a topic for debate amongst politicians. It was, it was on the front page of some newspapers. It was leading the news stories uh, on the hour, on the radio and on TV. So was it pressure that did it from the ECB? It probably was. In a sense, it shouldn't really matter whether it is or it isn't. In fact, all of the things that actually change in our society Everything that we want to have change happen because of pressure. It requires people to change their behaviours and they've got to be forced to do that somehow. And then how are they forced to do that? And I think that is what happened. I think I think George DeBell's piece last Monday absolutely broke the whole situation open because people stopped talking perversely about Azim and, and Azim is, is the victim here. But by taking Azim out of it, what George did in, in his piece was point out that Yorkshire was fundamentally incapable of recognising that there was a problem at the very heart of their club. When they, when they said that the term Zimbo was racist, but that Azim, when faced with the P word, was actually, you know, had no right to feel the way that he said that he did and they didn't believe that he did feel that way. That was when Yorkshire was exposed as not really understanding, well, not at all understanding racism. And that was the moment, I guess, when it stopped, because it stopped becoming about a person, it became about an institution, then it's become about us looking at ourselves and trying to work out within cricket how prevalent this is. Is it going on? In other counties, is it going on around the country? And those are the questions that are being asked. And the ECB are going to address those questions. They're going to ask for people to give um, their views uh, and their experiences. And there's, a, there's, there's an, an open forum where people can tell their stories and uh, anonymously, initially, and they will remain anonymous, but after that, then there'll be uh, written depositions from named individuals and they the ECB are, are taking it seriously 
And they probably are taking it seriously because, look, it's been on the front page of newspapers. It's led five live phone-ins. I'm sure it's been, you know, been talked about on TalkSport. It's, it's the major sports story. And that's not a good look for cricket. So, as I've said, uh, Nikesh Raghani, a colleague of mine at the BBC, wrote on Twitter about the experiences he's had as uh, growing up in, in Leicestershire. But what he pointed out was that Leicestershire has made real strong steps to change things. He made that very clear. You know, they've had the CEO, it's coming Wazim Khan, who went off to, to Pakistan after that, after his Leicestershire posting. But Leicestershire, as a club, has made strides in, in trying to understand what was difficult for people of Nikesh's generation. He's, you know, his late 30s. And Gloucestershire, similarly, was really forceful about the experiences of David Lawrence when he came out and spoke. So what we're looking for here is for organisations to understand and to listen to people's experiences. And I think we might be getting there. And if that's if it's because it's taken pressure, then let's not lambast the ECB. You know, now openly attempting to embrace this. Let's, let's, let's now have the process that we need to have. And let's have the bloodletting, if you like. It's a bit like a Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, potentially, after apartheid. Maybe people just have to be allowed a space and a forum to speak. And uh, I, I think it's a positive move, generally. Lord Patel, the new chair of Yorkshire County Cricket Club, has come out and said Rafiq was a victim of racial harassment and bullying at Yorkshire. Uh, he's a whistleblower, should be praised as such. He should never have been put through this. We're sorry for what you and your family have experienced and the way in which we've handled this. I thank Azim for his bravery in speaking out. Let me be clear from the outset, racism or discrimination in any form is not banter. Now, it's very easy to criticise Lord Patel and say, well, that's not what Yorkshire was saying, you know, five, six days ago. But ultimately, whether they got there through pressure or not, it's nice to hear Azim Rafiq getting the credit that he deserves. Well, Lord Patel wasn't, wasn't the chairman at, at that time. And the question that we're, everyone is asking is, why couldn't Yorkshire have taken this view and behaved in this way when this whole thing came out? But that's actually the point, that Yorkshire wasn't able to do that. You know, and the charge of institutional racism is one that they will have to face because the fact that they couldn't see that and now look look at what you know lord kamish patel's done and said and what a difference that makes it's it's that's what's frustrating and we just have to hope that you know that's not replicated in other organizations around the cricketing certainty in, in england don't we? yeah I, I completely agree um Finney, i just want to ask you quickly the last thing on it um sort of the player's point of view of this because presumably you know, you and your, your teammates and your friends in the game are, are following this story closely. And it's probably not nice to see the sport that you love and that you've played for all this time sort of being dragged through the mud and on the, in, in the papers for all the wrong reasons. No, no, it's sad, isn't it, to to have it dragged through the mud like it has been for the last couple of weeks. But as you guys have mentioned, it's also important that the issue is highlighted um, and people are given the opportunity to be able to come out and speak freely by this independent commission without the fear of um you know of, of anything bad happening or um or any shame that comes with it so yeah i think people being able to speak out and be honest about their experiences um it's not going to change anything it's not going to mean that those experiences aren't had 
um, or, or weren't had, sorry, but it's important now that as we move forward and as we look to become even more diverse and even more inclusive, that anything that's found in this report is taken note of and acted upon in terms of getting better in the future. Um, and and the, the way to make this thing a success is, is to make people's experiences in the future way, way better than they have been for people in the past. Completely agree. And, you know, it's a, it's a massive cliche, but it's a society problem that has, you know, spilled into cricket as it's spilled into many other walks of life as well. But hopefully, and it's sad that Azim Rafiq had to go through this, but he's been very upfront from day one that he he's, you know, he's fighting this campaign because he wants to genuinely bring about change. So hopefully, despite the horrible time that Rafiq and by the sound of things, some other players as well potentially have gone through in their careers. Well, hopefully it's a shame it had to happen, but lay a nicer a nicer groundwork for everybody else that plays the game from now on. Well, we'll have an update on that next week, I'm sure. But in the meantime, enjoy the semi-finals if they've not taken place yet at the time of listening. And of course, we are not a neutral podcast here. Come on, England. Finney, Dan, I shall see you on, uh, well, next week. I'll see you on Monday when England will be the T20 World Champions. That'll be fun. Oh, yeah, because oh, Sunday's a World Cup final, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. It is. It oh, is indeed. Well, yeah. We'll have a few beers right. for what, them. What sort of t- Yes, exactly. Can we, we'll... quite, can, we, can we do it quite late? I might need some recovery time. Uh, sure. Do you know what, Norcross? For you, anything. You. <laughs> Cheers, Thank guys. You. See you next week. See you. Goodbye, darling. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.